this week we move out of the Garden of Eden into what we would call the real world, the world that we kind of live in today. And so for those of us who think that the Bible is kind of filled with a bunch of cute stories about men and women that we should follow or example our lives after, well, all throughout Genesis, we're going to be in for a tough surprise, okay, that all throughout it, we see God trying to interact with man, but really man rebelling, rejecting, pushing away against God, and we see the effects of sin in our lives in very real ways. The Bible isn't afraid to hide that there's something broken, there's something wrong, and Genesis is really where that begins, and it plays itself out over and over and over again. One of the things that's beautiful about Genesis, though, is that you'll get to see the unity in all of scripture. If you're doing the Genesis devotional with us, that's one thing we're trying to show every week is that, hey, it's not just the book of Genesis that kind of highlights the story. In reality, all of scripture is this one unified story about how God is trying to draw men to himself, about how God is trying to redeem mankind, bring us back into intimacy, into relationship with him. But our man keeps kind of stumbling and, and fumbling and bumbling around and we can't really seem to get it right, and over and over and over again, we see that story. Even here in Genesis chapter 4, we actually see some of the unity of Genesis chapter 3 and and 2 and 1. I'll touch on this more in the end as we dive in some more, but there's a couple of things that I just want to highlight before we even dive in to show some of the unity. First of all, the name Abel in the story we're about to read is mentioned seven times. The name brother, or word brother, is mentioned seven times. The name Cain is mentioned 14 times. The name death or murder is named seven times, and on and on and on and goes. There's a lot of chiasms, if you remember that, the A, B, C, C, B, A type of structure. And even some of the sentences are pretty much the exact same. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it's almost the exact same sentence as Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. The only difference is the characters have changed. And so what is this showing? It's showing the unity of Scripture. In other words, it's almost the same story repeated again post-Eden, this side of the fall. We're kind of living an Adam and Eve story over and over and over again. For those of us who think that we would not be like Adam or Eve and fall or rebel against God, well, this kind of shows us that's not true. God gives chance after chance after chance, yet again and again and again, in almost the exact same way, men and women fall against God. Now, if you weren't here for sermon one, those numbers and the words may not make a whole lot of sense, and you can dive back into that. But what I do want to highlight is that, hey, the the scripture, the author, the unity of the Bible is fascinating. Like God is trying to tell this one story about how he is trying to redeem broken mankind. And so with that framework, let's dive in. Genesis chapter 4. And we are going to pick it up in verse 1. Genesis 4.1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. 
So we see some of the first humans on earth here, the brothers, and this scene sets up with them offering sacrifices to God. Now, there's a lot that scripture leaves out because it would consider it not necessarily important for the main thrust that it's trying to get through in the story, which is how God is interacting with mankind. But according to Genesis chapter 5, verse 4, Adam and Eve probably had other sons within the mix of this, all right? So there are other sons and daughters that are kind of running around the earth. It's not that these are the only two as we tend to think of. Genesis 5-4 kind of mentions there's a lot more. But the fact that scripture doesn't tell us why Eve named Abel what she did is actually probably one of the things that highlights. There's other people involved. These are just the two brothers that scripture at the story of the Bible wanted to highlight. It doesn't mention where they lived or who they married, if they got married. It doesn't really mention a whole lot. Why? Because it's trying to drill in our attention to this one issue of how they are trying to interact with God. What matters in the story is something that they bring, which is an offering to God. Now, a simple reading, it would almost seem like God liked Abel's offering, but he wasn't really filling Cain's offering, right? Like that's kind of what it looks like. It almost looks like to some extent that God could almost be like mean or uh, angry or almost like petty, Right? Like, like, I'll take this one, but I won't take this one. Like, like Cain brought him some Starbucks coffee, but, but Abel, he brought him that Thunderbird, right? <laughs> Cappuccino, we're ready to go, <laughs> right? It's almost what it seems like. And like, oh yeah, Cain, yours is weak, right? Step your game up. Abel, I'll take yours. It's kind of what we can read that as. But that would be petty. Because, I mean, even we know how to receive gifts that we don't really like, right? And they go, oh, this... Thank you. So you don't lie. You don't say, wow, I've always wanted this. You say, this, so thoughtful, right? So you can kind of not sin in the same way, right? Like, like even we know this. So couldn't God have just done that with Cain? Like, well, Cain, thanks, buddy. Appreciate this. But I really like Abel's. Ain't that right, Jesus, right? Like it could have been like that, but it's not. It actually highlights, I don't like this one, and I'm going to receive this one. Why would God go to that extent to make, as scripture says, I love this phrase, Cain's face fall, (laughs) right? Like, he was like, here you go, God. Oh, and his face fell, okay, is what was going on. Like, why would God go to that extent? Now, it's not like God likes animals over grain or something like that that's been proposed in the past. But in the Levitical law, we see that God actually has both offerings presented to him. So there are times where God has the fruit of the ground that's offered to him as an offering. There are times where God has animals that's offered to him as an offering. So it's not like God's being petty. It's not like he likes one offering and doesn't really like fruit or something like that. No, the difference is actually the heart. The difference is Cain and Abel's heart. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 24, I believe, they, they shed light on this to some extent. They show us the condition of the heart. But even here in our context, we can see that a little bit. The author's trying to highlight something for us. He's trying to reveal something for us. See, because Cain brought an offering, the scripture says, but Abel brought the firstborn or the fat portions of the offering, the most expensive piece, the most precious piece. He gave up something that was extremely valuable. So Cain kind of gave the Lord his leftovers, but Abel gave the Lord the first fruits, the thing that mattered the most. He actually, to some extent, sacrificed to give God the best of his portions. Or a better way to put it is that Cain wanted to look religious, but his heart wasn't really in it. 
Whereas Abel actually desired to know, he desired to have this intimacy with God. And so the first point or the first thing that we can see is that God doesn't just want your lip service, but he wants your heart. He's not just for our lip service. doesn't just say, hey, just do the right things and then I'll be pleased with you. No, God is actually after our hearts. He doesn't just want us to check off the box, but he wants us, all of us, because he desires intimacy with us. He desires to know us. He desires a relationship with us. And so we can easily, I think, think that we're kind of like the Abel in the story. But if we're honest, a lot of us have a lot of Cain in us, don't we? We have a lot of Cain in us. I mean, like, why, why do you read your Bible? Why, why are you here at church, maybe even this morning? Why do you give? Why do you sing? Why do you pray? Is it because it's what you're supposed to do? Is it a check in the box? Do you feel this burden and guilt when you don't read your Bible? Like, oh man, I'm a bad Christian. But when you do read your Bible, you go, oh, there we go. I've got it connecting with God. Because if we do, we're actually showing we have a lot of Cain tendencies in us. We're checking the box, we're doing the right things, we're making an offering, but are our hearts in it? Like, do you go to the scripture so that you can see who God is, so that you can interact with him, that you can know him, or are we just doing the right things? Why participate in a community group? Why serve the poor, the broken, the needy? Why sing out songs? Why give of our time, talent, and treasure? Why? We have to ask ourselves that. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest, if we're able to come bare and naked before the Lord today, we would say, we have a lot of Cain in us sometimes. We're doing the right things, but are our hearts fully behind it? Are we in it to seek God and to know him, or are we in it to seek God's things? Because if we're honest, most of us want God's things, but I don't really know if we want him. So we do the right things and we sacrifice as a way to offer ourselves to God, but not fully as we ought. But yet God still tries to interact with us nonetheless. He doesn't just cast us off, nor as we'll see later, does he just cast Cain off, but he tries still to draw us even when our hearts aren't fully in it. I mean, if I'm honest, I often just check the box to try to interact with God, right? Like, like I feel guilty if I'm not reading the Bible. It's like, I'm a pastor, <laughs> Out of everybody, I should be reading the Bible, right? Like, man, what am I doing? Or, man, why aren't I praying? Why aren't I fasting? Why aren't I giving? I should give more. I should do this. I should do, I should do, I should do. And what does it turn into? Works. I'd say works-based moralism theology. And we know that we believe that God, you come to him by grace through faith, not works. Yet, all of us get tempted to try to work for our salvation, to do these things in order to interact with God. When God says, I want you, I want your heart. And I myself so frequently am tempted with this. God wants our hearts. He wants us to be devoted to him because in him is eternal life. The other thing we can think is that God wants our hearts to appease him or to please him in some way. No, God wants our hearts because he loves you. And he knows that in him is joy, in him is peace, in him is life. And if you come to him, you receive these things. So God wants to give himself to you where true joy, where true love is. Yet even in the way that we think about that, we tend to think about appeasing or pleasing God in some ways. See, Cain wanted to be accepted by God, but he kind of wanted to be accepted by God on his terms. He wanted to be accepted by God in the way that he wanted to be accepted by God. So when God rejects Cain's offering, instead of that humbling Cain, instead of that kind of creating in Cain like a, oh man, what, what happened? God, I'm sorry, help me. Let, me. let me learn, teach me what to do. Instead, he gets angry. 
He gets irritated. In fact, he gets so mad, as we'll read in a second, that he goes to extreme measures to show forth this anger. What does that show? Cain isn't really trying to receive God. He's just trying to do the right things. Because if he had been trying to receive God and God rejected, he would have been humbled. God, what am I supposed to, okay, help me. Help me then, God. What am I supposed to do? We see this in the New Testament where people like Zacchaeus, when God clearly is almost rejecting him, Zacchaeus gives everything that he has, but it's not the giving that he has, it's his heart behind it where God then says, hey, because you have done this by faith, because you believe, then you are forgiven. And we see it over and over and over. It's not what we do, but the heart behind what we do. So Cain isn't really seeking God. He's probably seeking something that God can give, comfort, power, approval, whatever it may be. He wants God things, not God himself. So he gets mad. Literally this week, this Thursday, I was sitting down with, uh, for breakfast with this guy I've been reaching out to for years now, literally. And we're sitting down and we're talking and uh, he's kind of swings in and out uh, and thinking about God. And so he's super, super frustrated with God. And he's literally like cussing God out here in the restaurant and just so angry and like freaking out. You know, I said, man, it's okay. It's good to question God. It's, a, it's okay, right? But he's mad, he's mad, he's mad. And, and as we're getting into it, the more we're talking, the more I'm realizing, man, hey, like, like, like what if you're just coming to God for the things that he can give rather than coming to God for who he is? Like, like, like what if God told you to give up this? Would you do it? And the answer is clearly a no. Why? Because he wants the blessing of God, but he doesn't want to give himself fully of God. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. I know that because I do that. That's me as well. I get frustrated when God doesn't give me what I want as if he is to serve me rather than me to serve him. And it's not about this relationship. It's about what I can do. God wants our hearts. And that's the main thrust of the introduction of our story is God trying to captivate our hearts. He doesn't just want our lip service. He wants us. We have to realize that God is in it for our good. So Cain didn't, and we often don't. And we give lip service just like Cain gave lip service or gave a little bit of action. So what happens? Let's keep reading. Verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. We'll stop right there. There's a bunch here. But firstly, notice the Bible doesn't leave out any time between when God spoke to Cain and when Cain went and killed his brother. It just kind of immediately goes right into God speaks. And then the very next verse, Abel kills. Which, by the way, for one of the first sins to be mentioned post-Eden of murder, like that shows how bad we have it, right? Like it's not like Cain got mad and then he went and slandered his brother or lied. Like he killed dude, right? Like, like, that's a major, major, major sin. So immediately we see all this turmoil post-Eden where Cain has all this anger built up in his heart. In fact, the word for killed him in the Hebrew means to brutally slaughter or massacre. Because you got to think about it. Like, they didn't have guns back then. It was like, he was like, hey, come here, man. Psst, psst, right, and that was it. Like, 
He probably beat him with a bat or a rock or maybe even strangled him with his hands. What else did they have? He brutally massacred his brother, which means he thought about what he was doing. This is violent. This is crazy, right? And the brothers, they're all this anger, all this angst. Why? Because Cain wants the things of God rather than God himself. Cain wants to be accepted, but on his own terms. And so it creates so much turmoil in him when God doesn't do that, that he goes on and he kills. Once again, though, God told him how he could be accepted, didn't he? In verse 7, 6 and 7, he says, hey, here's how you can be accepted. This is further evidence that he wasn't seeking God because God gave him the remedy But he didn't follow up with that remedy. He just did whatever he wanted to do. I would argue, in fact, that Cain's idol is the idol of acceptance. Now, we don't have time to go into uh, all the source of idolatry here. But many theologians, pastors, uh, even a lot of counselors and psychologists would say that there are really four root idols, we call them, that are in our hearts. We often think of pride or some sort of sexual sin or something like that is what the root of all sin is. But really, there are four common ones that are here. Power, comfort, control, and acceptance. Or you can interact that word acceptance and replace it with approval or something like that. And so think about some of the sins. Like let's just, let's take sexual sin as an example. That's a easier one to interact with. We may see sexual sin in a lot of ways. That's the tree that we're looking at. We see, we know scripture says, hey, we shouldn't do these certain things. And so we see the fruit. We're looking at the tree. We realize, hey, there's something wrong. But deep down in the heart, there's a, there's a deeper thing that's happening. There's a deeper problem than just the sexual sin that we're looking at. And so you think about like the idol of, let's say, acceptance. Well, maybe... The sexual sin is coming out because deep, 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 deep down, you desire to be approved. You desire to be accepted. You desire to be loved. You desire to be brought in. And so you will give up of yourself, which scripture says you should only give up in a covenant relationship. You'll give it up before then. Why? Because you're fishing for somebody's acceptance. The root sin, the source sin is that of acceptance or Maybe you'll continually look at porn. Why? Because your root sin is control. And you can interact with porn when you want, how you want, where you want, whenever you want. You feel like you have a sense of control. And so while porn may be an issue, it's the tree that we're all looking at. In reality, there's a deeper issue going on is that you want control. Or maybe it's comfort. You feel lonely, you feel forsaken, you feel like nobody's there for you. And so you use this as a way to gain forth comfort or maybe it's power. You want to feel dominant, you want to feel respected, you want to feel authoritative. And so you will do these acts like literally, if we're looking at just that sin and we can do that with every sin, it's usually one of these four things that our hearts are really wrestling with. And so I think what Cain is was going on with Cain is that his source or his root sin is that of acceptance. That's the idol that Cain is struggling with. He doesn't get it and it leads to murder. I say this because in verse 7, God literally says, if you do this, will you not be accepted? God's trying to interact with the source of his heart. Look, I will accept you. I will approve of you. I will welcome you in. Cain, just don't you see this? But Cain can't hear from God. His idol is getting in the way. He needs to be accepted. Later, we'll read in a second, when God kicks Cain out of his presence, Cain's first response is that of uh, not being accepted, so much so that he fears that somebody's actually going to murder him because he looks different. He's not concerned with being kicked out of the presence of God. He's concerned with being murdered. 
He doesn't care that much about God, being away from God's presence. Yeah, who cares about that? He wants acceptance. Cain is wrestling here with this idol of acceptance. Cain's bitterness is rooted even deeper in this idea of acceptance. Tim Keller says this on this idol. He says, if you seek approval, your greatest nightmare is rejection. That's true of Cain's whole story. Cain, God rejected Cain's offering. He got rejected out of the presence of God. He fears that somebody will reject him later. It's clear that he's really wrestling with this idea of acceptance. Victor Hamilton, a theologian, points out that after God questions Cain, says, hey, where is your brother? He says this, the first part of Cain's response is a lie. I do not know. He did know. He killed his brother, right? The second part of that response is a rejection to God's questions as an inappropriate one. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to know what's going on? Which ironically, nowhere in scripture does it tell us to be our brother's keeper. And so to some extent, he's kind of speaking this truth, but it's clear he's being ironic. He's trying to navigate away from what God is asking him. Now, remember, when God asks a question, he knows the answer to it, okay? Do you remember that from a couple of weeks ago in Genesis 3? God asks a question. He's not asking you a question, okay? He's asking it for your sake. This is for Cain's knowledge, not God's knowledge. We know this because in verse 10, God literally says, I know where your brother is. His blood is crying out to me, right? So God knows what he's asking him. And what does this section then, this whole section, tell us about God? Well, God is extremely patient and longs for our redemption. You say, well, wasn't that the point of Genesis 3? Yes, <laughs> God longs for intimacy, which will be our last point. You can pretty much point that as every point in Genesis. He longs for intimacy with us, but God is patient. He's trying to restore, right? Why do we say this? Well, even in the question, we see God is not condemning Cain, but rather allowing Cain a moment, an opportunity for repentance. Instead of coming down and saying, Cain, you fool, what did you do? Why did you... That's it, we're done, right? Like instead of doing that, he says, hey, hey, where is your brother? In the same way that he asked Adam, hey, Adam, where are you? So says, oh, I'm hiding. God is beckoning forth repentance rather than condemnation. In other words, God isn't just sitting in heaven, like waiting and longing and looking for ways to condemn you. Are y'all tracking with that? Can I get on a soapbox real quick? This is over here, Okay. I think a lot of us, the way that we tend to think about God is that God is this angry God, arms folded, up in heaven, looking at you, just waiting for you to mess up. Like the angry black granny, right? That was my granny growing up. It was like, almost like waiting for you to mess up so you can get a spanking, right? Like, like that's not God. That's not God. In fact, God is up in heaven trying to figure out ways to forgive you and to redeem you. He's waiting and longing and looking. So when he sees Cain kill Abel, he doesn't come down and condemn Cain. Instead, he comes down and is trying to find ways, Cain, how can I offer you forgiveness and acceptance? God wants to forgive us. He wants to bring us in. He wants relationship with us. Amen? And this is what we see all throughout Genesis. Instead... Cain is sarcastic, right? Am I my brother's keeper, right? Like, like I don't know how y'all grew up, but sarcasm was immediate grounds for whooping in my house, right? Not spanking, whooping, okay? Like, go get the spoon, please mom, no whooping, right? Like, you don't do sarcasm, but even still, when he's sarcastic, God doesn't go, what? What'd you say to me, right? Zap, done, Adam and Eve get to knowing each other some more. You need more kids, right? Like that's not what happens. 
God instead still is trying to redeem Cain. This whole section is showing God is longing to bring Cain back in. And even though Cain's heart is hardened, even though he wants acceptance, but he refuses to find it in God, God still is trying to interact with him to draw him in. God is still trying to interact with you, friends, to draw you in. We are the Cain of this story. We are the ones that search for acceptance in all these weird and and awkward and and backwards ways. And God says, that's okay. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm trying to redeem you and give you approval and give you acceptance and give you what your heart longs for, which is me, God is saying. And he's trying to draw Cain. God is patient. He's kind. He's gentle. He's trying to redeem. Because if we're honest, God should have rejected us a long time ago. But instead, he's patient with us. We're sitting in here today singing and looking at the word, even though we all know that literally last night we're probably in sin. This morning, while we're driving and somebody cuts us off, and if we could murder them, we may like Cain. (laughs) He still loves us, blesses us. Let's finish this section. Verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Right, worried about the consequence. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. There he is again, number two. He's worried about the ground. And then he adds in, from your face, uh, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord God put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Once again, we see God's patience here. Rather than punishing Cain, he gives him a mark, not just to punish, but to also protect. In fact, The parallels between Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4 are profound. It actually shows us we're living the same story over and over and over again. Think about it. And there's a chart here for you guys to look at, interact with. Genesis 2, God is present. Genesis 4, where Cain and Abel are, God is present. He accepts their offering. In Genesis 2, God gave a warning. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 4, 7, he gave Cain a warning. Hey, sin is looking for you. It's trying to deceive you. It's trying to kill you. You've got to rule over it. But in Genesis 3, Adam chose to rebel against God's warning, to usurp it, to become his own God in a way. In Genesis 4, Cain rebels. So then God comes down and questions Adam. Where are you? Just like he comes down and questions Cain. Where is your brother? But both Adam and Cain try to deflect the question. Rather than answering, Adam says, the woman that you gave me, God, she's the one that made me do it. Sarcastic, pushing back against God, rather than coming to him for redemption, trying to push him away from us. Cain says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Sarcastic, trying to push God away the exact same. So God punishes, yet before he actually casts out, he actually gives them grace, even within the punishment. God graciously clothes Adam and Eve with the skins of the animals to cover up their pathetic loincloths that they made, if we remember that. And here he puts a mark on Cain so that Cain may not be killed. God is giving grace. And then with both of them, he kicked them out, and it says, to the east of Eden, or away from the presence of God is what that's interacting with. What does this tell us? It's the same story 
over and over and over again. We are Adam. We are Cain. And in a little couple of weeks, we're going to realize we are Noah. The same story. We are these men and women that have a messed up relationship with God because we either think that God is not good or we try to be our own gods. It's the same story over and over and over and over again. And so maybe for us, it won't come out in murder. Maybe for us, it will come out in just sheer rebellion and disobedience. Or maybe it will come out in lying. Or maybe it will come out in glory seeking. Everybody look at me. Everybody listen to me. Let me tell my story over and over again that you may worship me. Right? Maybe it will come out in, in, in even murder. Who knows? It will come out in all these different ways. But it could be a slew of things. But what it's showing us is that just like Augustine prayed many centuries ago, he said, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. If we do not find our rest in God, if we do not come to God for what our hearts are seeking, then we will forever be restless. We will be a wanderer just like Cain. We will wander around. Genesis 4 says, looking for a home, looking for acceptance, looking for approval, looking for stability, but we will not be able to find it. Our hearts will be restless until they realize that God is the source that we are looking for. See, I know Cain's struggle because, of, as I've confessed many a times, acceptance is my source idol too. I want you to think that I'm a good pastor or I'm a good dad or that this sermon is a great sermon or whatever it may be. And I, I long for that approval, for that acceptance. Hey, somebody, please tell me that I am valuable. Tell me that I am worthy. Tell me that I am accepted. What is my heart looking for? It's looking for what can only be found in God. Friends, do you realize that those who are believers in Jesus, one day we will stand before God and he will look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And all of the acceptance in the world at that moment will sound like an elementary school kids choir compared to the orchestra of God's voice into our hearts. God longs to give us himself. He longs to give us acceptance. He longs to give literally what the source of our heart is desiring. But he knows that it's only found in him. And so he tries to draw Cain in, draw him in over and over and over again. We all do this. I have a list of a ton of examples. I won't even go through these. But the way we interact on social media, the way that we hate being called out in our sin. Like if somebody calls you out in your sin, it doesn't humble you, but you act like Cain. Man, get away from me. Who are you? Look at your sin. What are we doing? We want acceptance, right? Literally, I was uh, at the old church uh, I worked at before planting the well, Hill Country. I was meeting with a pastor every week. And there was one week we walked in and he was like, whew, I definitely need coffee today, man. You know what I mean? I was like, sure. <laughs> All right. And he said, man, I got up at five and, and met with this person, blah, blah. I said, man, why'd you tell me that? He said, what? So why'd you tell me you got up at five? What is he doing? He's fishing for my acceptance. Hey, would you approve of me and would you tell me that I'm a good pastor because I'm willing to wake up before almost anybody else is willing to wake up? Isn't that what that's saying? <laughs> And I told him, you don't have to have me tell you that I'm a good pastor. You are a good pastor, but the Lord approves of you, not me. But we all do that. I was able to see it in him because I do the same thing. Approve of me, approve of me. This is where we are. But in John chapter 6, verse 37, it tells us that anybody who comes to the Lord will be accepted by God. God will accept us no matter our situation or circumstances or where we are at, no matter how much pride we have or how low we feel, God will still welcome us in. You may say, well, wait, didn't God reject Cain's offering? Like, like, didn't God actually reject in some way? 
Yes. But we said why. He was coming to God for God's things rather than God himself. God isn't going to give you over to an idol, friends. You do realize that, right? God is a good God. He's not going to give you over to the very source of your idolatry so that that idol can crush you and smash you and leave you hopeless and dreamless. God would never do that. And so he'll reject at times. Why? So that he can fix our hearts on him, so that he can reconstruct our hearts, mold us to be in a relationship with him. God wants us to come to him. See, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it tells us why God accepted Abel's offering. It said, because Abel offered it by faith. Abel believed in God. Abel knew that he wasn't able to actually give God an offering. Like, did that offering really uh, 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 cleanse Abel? By no means. Abel was still a sinful man, but it was by faith. He believed. He wanted God. He wanted to come to God for who he was, and then God accepted it. And see, I think some of us, we either don't see God's acceptance, we think we're good on our own, we've got this on our own, or we think we're too messed up for God. And both of those are really this root idea of acceptance. God, you do need God. You do need to be accepted by God or else your heart will not find rest. You need him, but you cannot be bad enough for the grace of God. It's actually prideful to think that. Your sins are not more powerful than God's grace. And so we can come to him knowing that he will accept us. You need God's acceptance, and he is willing to give it away. And see, this is where we see the beauty of the gospel, friends. This is the beauty of the gospel. How do we know that we'll be accepted? It's because Jesus Christ was rejected for you. See, the only human being that ever lived on earth that should have actually been accepted because of his works is Jesus. Yet on the cross, Jesus screams out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you, what is that word, rejected me? Where are you at, God? Why have you rejected me? But Jesus knows as he's quoting this psalm, God rejects Jesus. Why? So that he doesn't have to reject Abel. He can accept him. So that he doesn't have to reject Noah or Abraham or Joseph or you. God's not going to reject you when we come to him by faith because he rejected Jesus. Instead, this is what the gospel tells us, is that God longs for us to be in so much so that Jesus would humble himself to the point of death on a cross. Jesus would receive God's rejection so that he may bestow on you God's acceptance. God wants to bring you in. The last verse where we, I love this verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. It'll be on the screen. You'll have to turn there. It says, into Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does that verse mean? Abel's blood screams out, man is guilty. Man will murder his own brother. Man will do whatever it takes that he may try to step up onto the pedestal of acceptance. Man is guilty. What does Jesus' blood cry out? Man is guilty. But by faith, man can be fully redeemed and fully forgiven and free. Man no longer has to be guilty because I will bring on that guilt for them. Abel's blood screams out condemnation. Jesus' blood screams out redemption. Jesus is the greater Abel. Jesus is the one who can let us be accepted by God. He offers up the sacrifice of himself and God accepts that and approves that. And by faith, if we believe in him, he will accept us too. We can come to God through the sacrifice of Jesus, just like Abel came to God through the sacrifice that he offered. 
Jesus is the greater able. He is the way that we can be accepted by God. Listen, friends, you don't have to wrestle with this idol of acceptance. So what if the whole world rejects you? Do you know who you gain in the end if you believe in Jesus? You get God, the one whose very words speak and boom into existence all the beauty that we see of Genesis 1. He can speak that same well done to you. And you will come alive like you've never felt before. You don't have to fish, friends. Some of you have been fishing and fishing and fishing for God's acceptance. Listen, God wants to bring you in. Come in. Come into the fold. Come into the family. God wants to bring you in. And some of us, even believers, we fight, we fight, we fight. We don't have to do that, friends. In Christ, you have acceptance that you can never, ever, ever, ever dream of. In your wildest imaginations, God will approve of you at the end. And now we, with this approval, can walk in the beauty and the freedom of the gospel, trying to live it out to the best of our abilities and draw others in. We can live like Abel once we come to the better Abel, Jesus. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, thank you for redemption. Thank you for offering us forgiveness, the, the freedom that can be experienced at the cross. God, I know that my heart is so often at it fights for approval. It longs for it so deeply in other men and women and in other situations. God, help me to find my source. Help me to find my acceptance in you, Christ. God, I pray that each of us will be able to experience that, God, that rather than trying to play our cards right and, and position ourselves correctly so that other men and women may approve of us, God, help us to find the approval that our hearts are seeking in you. God, I thank you that we all, to some extent, long for that acceptance. You hardwired it in us to desire that so that you yourself can fulfill it. You're a good, good, good God. Lord, help us to find what we're looking for in you. Praise in your very beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Um, at four different stations in the room, there's places for communion and this is a time for those of us who have called Jesus our Savior, who have literally been accepted by the God of the universe through Christ to remember what he's done for us in the act of communion. And so what you can do is we'll sing three songs here to close out our service. And at uh, any point during those three songs, you can walk over to the table, rip off a piece of the bread, which represents Christ's body, which was torn for you. And you dip it in the juice, which represents the blood of the new covenant, that in him you have freedom, you have forgiveness. Listen, you have acceptance, friends. And we can remember that today at the communion table if we believe in him. And literally, if you are not a believer, you don't have to feel pressured or weird. We're all moving around. Nobody's watching you, okay? But even today, even today, you can come to the Lord Maybe today you desire to put your faith in Jesus, to humble yourself, to follow him. Maybe you want that acceptance from God. You can have it today, friends. And then one of your first acts can be communion, remembering what he did for you 2,000 years ago that you just made true in your heart this moment. What a beautiful way to practice and interact with God through communion there. 
Um, the ushers will come forward now and do this morning's tithes and offerings. If you're a guest or a visitor, don't feel the pressure to give. That's not what this is about. We give because we believe in God's mission of the church extending to the ends of the world that people may hear about the glory of the gospel. Uh, do drop your communication cards in. I don't know why I forget that every week. <laughs> Friends, I would encourage you to, maybe today you place your faith in Christ for the first time. You can mark that on your card. We would love to, A, celebrate that with you as a family, but then also help you learn what does it look like to walk with God, to follow God. So you can check that, and one of the staff or elders will follow up. We'd love to walk through this life with you so you're not alone, so you have a family to belong to. As the baskets are going, I would encourage you, man, let's just prepare our hearts for a moment. Think about maybe even the ways that we long for acceptance and we try to find it in things other than the gospel. Maybe we can just confess that to the Lord right now in our seats. In a few minutes, we'll be invited to stand and let's sing out about the beauty, the redemption that God has for us found in the gospel. I love you guys.